with Owen Ashworth of Casio Tone for the Painfully Alone and Advanced Bass. Enjoy, would you? How you doing? I'm very well. Happy Columbus Day to you. <laughs> Happy Columbus Day to you. It's a great day. It really symbolizes a lot of truth and wonderfulness in our country, doesn't it? Um, well, Columbus got me again. I walked all the way down to the post office and pulled on the door, and it was locked. That motherfucker. Got me again. Yeah. Thanks to Columbus, not only are millions of Native Americans without a home, I can't get Netflix on a Monday. And it turns out I took a walk for my health, like a sucker. <laughs> God damn, nobody. Well, you live in uh, Chicago, so you, that's a, that's a health walk in town. Yeah, for a while. Yeah, urban center. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm uh, home with my my daughter most days, so uh, we we take walks to the post office or the park, and it's good. Yeah, I've been getting out, and because uh, I don't I don't have a lot to do during the day other than. And take my kids to the park or something like that, or you know, go drop off my Netflix. Yeah, the, having a kid kind of uh, really gets in the way of day drinking, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely <laughs> does. Yeah, uh, and I guess it is jumping ahead a little bit, but because uh, it, it is something I was curious about. If how old is your kid? First of all, she's actually going to be a year tomorrow. Oh wow! Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Um. I just I was curious because uh, I just listened to your new album. It came out in May, correct? With the Advanced Space album. Yeah, yeah, in May. Um, and it's it's really great, by the way. I'm I'm a big fan of yours. In, to to begin with, so I'm uh, uh, flattered that you're uh, you took out the time to chat with me. But um, did, did was that uh, album recorded or written during the uh, the times of the baby on the do way? Yeah, a lot of it. A lot of it was recorded uh, while my wife was pregnant, and I just I kind of knew I had this deadline where I would have no more time to do anything anymore. So I was really pushing to get the record done before before the baby came. It was nice kind of to have that deadline, and um, you know after you know things would calm down a bit, and I'm I'm able to find more time to work on songs again. But yeah, it was that 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 first Advanced Space album I really. Uh, you know, the, we had our looming date, and uh, and you know, you know, we we knew that the baby could come earlier, so I was yeah, really was pushing to get everything done in advance. Did do, do you did uh, I know I don't know if this is a cliche question or not, but it's something that it personally kind of makes makes me curious because I only have a dog. I don't know, <laughs> I know how much that's changed my life, and I don't mean that facetiously at all. It's just like when you have a when you can't get pissed off or any anything anymore, and because this little thing goes and hides, but I mean, did did that affect you? Did you see it as affecting your writing or your music or anything like that? Or um, one thing I've definitely noticed is that I have um, less time to sort of you know fuck around at the piano. So the time that I do get to make music, I I I. I I just look forward to that time so much and I enjoy it so much when I actually get to sit down and play. It's not, you know, in, in the past I've really, you know, sat down and tried to force myself to come up with things or, you know, put in so many hours a day, just rehearsing and things like that. But, you know, the spare moments I do get to play are just are the best. And for the first time in a long time, I'm 
you know, solely making music for pleasure. And so, yeah, I mean, music has become definitely, uh, I'm dedicating less time to it than I did before. Um, but, oh, it's the best. It's, 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 it's kind of nice. I mean, you know, the flip side of that is that it's, it's all, you know, a good, for a good part of the day, if I, you know, have an idea for a song or something, I just, I, I feel very frustrated that I can't, you know, go sit down and actually try to work it out. And now when you say, yeah, when you get an idea for a song, like, I don't, I know that's when kind of not the easiest, or is it an easy question to answer? Cause you, you have, your songs all have a story, correct? Oh uh, yeah. For the most part. Yeah. 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 And is that just like you see some dude in a laundromat and you're like, I'm going to write a song about that guy or it, does it, how does that sort of story formulate? Do you, how much of that do you know when you're going into writing the song or? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, they kind of, I kind of have ideas for, you know, I, I don't, if I had a good formula for it, I would be a lot more prolific than I am, but they, they kind of come in from out of the blue often. And often it's just, it's something I read or I, you know, maybe I'll just see somebody on the street or a story a friend will tell me, or just like, uh, you know, I'll have an idea for a rhyme and it's often it starts with just like a line or two. And then the story kind of like builds out and around from that and just sort of trying to build a context for some like just initial idea of like, just like a particular kind of confusing feeling or, uh, um, I don't know. Just trying to describe a predicament, I guess. And yeah, because a lot of your characters in the in the songs seem to sort of they seem to be in conflict very often. Am, 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 is that wrong? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that a lot of what I write songs about is just trying to kind of figure out certain kind of just like I don't know puzzles that people have in life. And I find, I you know, I find some comfort in just kind of at least trying to explain a certain kind of, you know, feeling, even if I don't, there's not a lot of resolution in my songs, and uh, which is something that people have kind of complained about. But I think the reason I'm writing is just sort of to try to figure out a lot of things for myself, or just at least be able to communicate a certain kind of like, frustration or maybe a pattern that I've recognized within myself or, you know, someone I know. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, ultimately hope it's just kind of comforting music is I'm trying to describe things that hopefully people can relate to and things that are kind of, I don't know, fragile or kind of embarrassing parts of people's personalities, the kind of things that people don't fess up to all the time, but, it's, you know, people just kind of at their worst. <laughs> yeah, I just uh when I first heard the Bobby Malone song, I uh I I had just spent a lot of time sleeping on couches. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, holy yeah, shit, too. that's me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh so there was a, and how did you like uh, cuz you definitely are one of them them guys who has a very specific you have your own sound like which is in probably the best thing about you know, somebody in music when they, no one else can sound like them. But I mean, uh, a lot of the Casio tone stuff originally was just you, right? And I know there was the, the woman who sang with you. Well, it definitely started as just me. And, um, that was kind of the original plan is to write songs that I would just be able to perform on my own. And it started with the 
very strict idea with what it was going to be and what it was going to sound like. So I didn't really know what I was doing. And I think sort of giving myself like these sets of restrictions, at least set up some kind of framework to try to, you know, work within. Um, but yeah, it started just me. And, but even on the second record, I started to have friends, you know, play cello on a song or drums on a song. So it kind of grew out and, um, yeah, I even did some tours with like full bands and there were points where it kind of like was actually, it turned into a band. One of the last tours I did with Cassia Tone is we had a, like a, a six person band with, with horns and it was great. Um, it was, it was so fun to hear my dinky little songs actually sound <laughs> yeah, full and loud. What was it just sort of convenience that you started off with just like, it was like battery operated keyboards and, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have instruments, and I didn't, I couldn't play guitar. Um, just pretty rudimentary, um, you know, musicianship, and just kind of trying to figure it out. And yeah, I was pretty stubborn about trying to do as much of it on my own as I could, just because I, I had, you know, somewhat self-conscious about, you know, my limited ability, but kind of like the idea of just kind of just, if I'm going to blow it, I want it to know that <laughs> I did it on my own, you know. That's that's very admirable. Uh, yeah, and I think that I, I, there's some weird part of me that f tends to force through the worst ideas and try to make, you know, try to make the best out of crummy situations. I think I just have a tendency to really kind of shoot myself in the foot with, especially with like creative <laughs> projects. So, and it's, you know, there are a lot of things about Castleton that I even found, like even the name I thought was just like so awful and embarrassing. Like a friend of mine had kind of come up, had, you know, had named the project and I, I never liked it. But Ca the Casio tone name. Yeah. Yeah. But I kind of took it as this challenge. Like if I'm going to do it, like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do exactly that. There is a bit of like because of the painfully alone, it it does it can sort of invoke the image of uh, maybe a little goth or or, or uh, uh, Morrissey esque. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, but then, and then I don't think your music really is that at all. I mean, I think it's it's uh, it's definitely uh, there's a there's a a lot of though it's very sad characters and whatnot there's a there's a great deal of warmth to it which i think is and, and i guess that honesty which is what i related to good <laughs> i'm still i mean i'm still kind of figuring out what it is honestly but uh yeah but I mean, that's yeah. kind of like i mean isn't it the i mean that's what we're all sort of doing creatively and in this thing called life i mean we're i mean i write and whatnot and i i've been doing shit for 20 something years and I'm I I'm still feel like I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> it was like I'm like oh, I don't yeah, know. But you started. Yeah. I read that you uh, started off as a film student. Is, is that correct? Yeah. Well, I went to San Francisco State University. I grew up in the, the suburbs and um, of San Francisco. And yeah, I worked at a movie theater in high school and uh, watched a lot of movies and. I don't really under remember exactly why that was what I was going to do, but I was very stubborn about it. I only applied to one school, and like, I'm just going to go to San Francisco State. I think it's partially just like the path of least resistance, um, laziness, <laughs> combined with like absolute stubbornness, or I have a tendency to just make decisions and 
just defend them to death. Then I, I, I don't quite remember why I was going to do that in the first place at a point. But uh, yeah, so I went to San Francisco State to study film and was in the it was, I was in the program for a couple of years. But it was like a heavily impacted major. Like Pulp Fiction had come out not long before, and I think a lot of people, a lot of kids like me, decided that you know they were going to make movies, and it just the 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 film department at State really kind of exploded, and all I wanted to do was take film production classes and for someone to show me how to use the editing equipment so I could actually make movies, and I ended up in all these like theory classes and watched a lot of great movies and wrote a lot of papers about movies, but never touched a camera in the context of like a class. Was that the um, school, that was the school's fault? Like it was- yeah, I mean, I was, I, I kind of kept, you know, pushing the carrot a little further in front of me. I mean, like, well, you're going to need another semester of, you know, you're getting your prereqs out of the way and, you know, take another semester of, uh, you know, theory and film history classes. And yeah, hopefully we'll get you in some production classes next year. And it just it kept not happening. And I really frustrated because I just really wanted just to make stuff. Um, so I just started taking more like writing classes and things that felt like more like of immediate gratification. It's yeah. So I kind of just sort of put all my energy more into writing and I took like, just like a real basic rudimentary, like music theory class. And, and that was kind of the first time I tried playing like piano and that was fun. Like I could just sit down and write a story and write a song and, play it on my own as opposed to, you know, trying to raise money and finding a crew to make like a, like a, like a, you know, a little short film, like if making music and writing felt just like so immediate. It was just a lot more satisfying. Yeah. It even seems like today where you can make films digitally and it, it's should be really easy. It still seems like a very complicated it seems like there should be independent movies fucking everywhere, and it's it, it's really bizarre to me that there's not like a million Cassavetes or something. Yeah, it's still. I mean, it's still incredibly hard work to make like a feature, you know, like a like a movie. And there's so many people involved. I think there's just so much compromise involved. Like you really have to be so motivated and driven to to do that. And I didn't have it in me, honestly. I wasn't going to make feature films. Yeah, I, I'm still a big fan of movies, and I. You know, I'm happy just to watch them and enjoy them and, you know, do other stuff. What what were, like, some of the movies that inspired you to maybe pursue the film world? Uh, um... Were you, like, a film snob, or was it, like, Stripes, I'm going to make the next Caddyshack? (laughs) Oh, Stripes is great. Oh, yeah, I wasn't wasn't shit-talking those. I I didn't mean it like that, but... I actually just saw Stripes for the first time a few years ago. Oh, really? I, somehow, it's one of those movies that just kind of slipped through the cracks with me. And um, God, like the first half hour or hour of that movie, it's it starts so strong. It loses some steam for me. But that first couple scenes, just like in their apartment with Harold Ramis and, and Bill Murray, it was just like so great. I couldn't believe it. It was great. I was felt so lucky that like that movie had been still waiting for me for so long. And it was fun to enjoy it as an adult um yeah i, yeah, was... I mean oh, i'm sorry oh no no go ahead um i was gonna say i i i was real keen on like a lot of french new wave movies and um i saw like some jim jarmish movies when i was like 14 or 15 and you know they were 
I've always been kind of very attracted to like a really kind of minimal aesthetic. And I think maybe that lends itself a bit to my laziness where I'm like, you can, you can do that. You can get away with it's like with that little effort. <laughs> like, wow, they're really pulling it off. So I guess something felt kind of tricky about the fact that you know, when I see movies that are kind of done just on a shoestring budget or just, you know, with, uh, without a lot of special effects or tricks. So I don't know. I, th- I think quiet and kind of boring and a little bit difficult movies were the ones that really kind of like attracted to me because it seemed maybe the most accessible. I think it's the same kind of similar aesthetic that attracted me to a lot of just like real crummy, like lo-fi indie music or just things that seemed like it seemed obvious that, you know, there's a lot of personality that leaks through when things are kind of done that cheaply and quickly. And it just seems like the biggest weirdos are making this stuff. And I'm just so fascinated by <laughs> what kind of person is driven to do this, you know, completely uh, our, you know, project of passion. Like it clearly wasn't like a commercial venture. What, uh, yeah. What were like some of the, was there any music that was directly, in, that in, directly inspired you or was it just sort of, I don't. I, it's I. I kind of in high school, in middle school. I, I was there's there's a lot of like rap and R and B music that my peers were listening to, and that was that was a big deal. That was like the first music that felt that was just you know my parents hadn't introduced me to basically. Um, but then in high school, I kind of found out about more weird indie and punk music. I remember hearing Big Black on like a college radio station in like a friend's car going out to lunch in high school. And uh, I like very clearly remember just like the sensation that music gave me. It just didn't sound like anything I'd heard before. It was just, like super brutal. And that was exciting. And that weekend I went and bought a Big Black record and and uh, my life was ruined. <laughs> all downhill from there which uh which record was it uh, songs about fucking i bought like yeah. a used lp of songs about fucking still have it um yeah that record was a real big deal to me. is that the one that has i think there's a zz top cover on that album if i'm not mistaken isn't there i think you're thinking of uh just got paid the rape man oh fuck he's other project that just got paid and that was my introduction to zz top being a great band and not the funny guys with beards and like a legs video. Yeah, it's funny how like I had a friend who uh, and actually I- I'm a big CCR fan and my f- oh yeah my friend was like that's a brave admission <laughs> and I was like I was like what they're great and I took oh. him to see uh, some friends of mine in LA did a and they were all like great musicians and they just did this for a, a fuck around but they did a, a CCR cover band and my great. friend was like it that was how he was like. Yeah, they are great. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was like a yeah. But it's like weird how a cover sometimes makes you go realize how cuz you know, ZZ Top did become a, a goddamn cartoon, but their early stuff is yeah. pretty pretty funky and great. Yeah. And Credence, there's a lot of Credence in my house growing up. Um John Fogerty went to like my parent the rival high school and my parents. Oh, really? He grew up in Yeah, he went he he grew up in El Cerrito. My parents grew up in Arinda, which is like East Bay. Uh in California. Um, and John Fogarty played at my parents' homecoming. Um, he was just like, you know, a local kid in a band. And so my parents always loved Credence and with a lot of Credence in the house, but, uh, um, we're always pretty clear that, uh, 
you, you don't buy Credence Records because Saul Zance gets all the money. And you buy used Credence Records, and we wouldn't <laughs> put money towards, uh, um, like the, you know, the Lord of the Rings franchise. Because Saul Zance also owned the rights for uh, Lord of the Rings in addition to fucking... John Fogarty out of all his money. So I had no, I, I had no idea. Very about strong that. political lines. I think my parents had you know, a great deal of <laughs> allegiance to Mister Fogarty. So uh, yeah, no, John, yeah, Credence was a big deal. Is that up. why he got sued? Because remember, he had to defend himself in court for stealing his own song back in. Yeah, as so, Dan. Yeah. So it was that prick. Yeah. How infuriating must that be that? This guy's already made a billion dollars off of you, and he wants to squeeze you for a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, he seems just like the worst guy. And um, I appreciate that my parents... I sort of grew up with this real sense of, you know, uh, artistic entitlement or something like this. Like, this real, <laughs> um, I don't know, real clear-cut sense of right and wrong and, like, the big guy and the little guy. And I, I like the CCR story was always, like, an important lesson. Were they uh, sort of hippies or creatives and whatnot? Yeah, they were. You know, they were grew up in the. You know, they went to Berkeley in the '60s. And oh, really? That had like actually, my parents had a VW Bug, VW station wagon, and a VW bus at different stages of my youth. Um, were they yeah, hanging out like, with uh, Huey Long and all that? No, <laughs> <laughs> I just know those guys would cruise uh, Berkeley a lot and. Uh, so, like, I think not uh, not the Communist Man. Maybe it was the Communist Manifesto, and uh, all that. There was, I mean, it was like a Berkeley in the '60s was a hotbed for all kinds of bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I think my parents are hippies in the sense that you know they went to Berkeley in the '60s, and that was what was happening at the time. But I don't, they weren't you know particularly radicals in any kind of you know big political sense. But um, you know, they you know went to some protests and smoked some pot and saw some Bill Graham's present shows and things like that. I mean, it's a cool thing to grow up with. It's cool to grow up in, you know, the area where your parents grew up. And, you know, I, I kind of got this real interesting sense of history from them. Like there's this bar called the Edinburgh Castle where I would, you know, play shows early on. And uh, I was telling my dad about some show I was playing. He's like, oh, yeah, I used to, I used to play darts there in college. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. That's neat. Uh yeah, I, my, I, there just was such a generation gap with my parents that they weren't cool at all. They listened to Anne Murray, and <laughs> it was like yeah. they had an Anne Murray record and, and like a Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid soundtrack. Like that was the extent of my uh, musical influence from them, and it was pretty, pretty brutal. <laughs> and uh, they yeah. weren't cool at all. But yeah, I guess it's. I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, it probably took five or six passes through my parents' record collection um, from the time I was, you know, in my early teens to my 20s and, you know, grabbed like the Credence and Beatles records first. And then some years later, it's like, oh, you've got an Astrid Gilberto record. Can I take this? And then like, oh, you've got this John Fahey record. Can I take this? Then I found, remember finding this John Cage prepared piano record, one of my, you know, final passes through my parents record collection my dad was like you can have it but it is awful and it ended up being one of my favorite records that's interesting but yeah i feel bad for my little brother seven years younger than me and i, I you know i got to my folks record collection before he had a chance that's the odds which is probably why he listens to 
like the most brutal metal music, and I listen to a lot of rock and roll from the sixties. <laughs> Does he listen to like new metal or that, or is he's like stuck in Metallica phase? Um, he you know he he plays in metal bands. He like sings in metal bands, but he's like real into just like the the most brutal uh, and evil and kind of obscure, like a lot of South American or like Greek metal band stuff wow. I've never heard of before. But yeah, he's 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 a uh, He's pretty deep with it. Yeah. Was there? Were, were you the youngest in your family? Or was there? You know, did you I was, have older siblings? I was the youngest of five, and I had a brother who was. Uh, let's hope he doesn't listen to this. But he had a band that, and like, so his music stuff was an influence on me. But it was like, uh, like Kiss, and it was bad, and Fog Hat. <laughs> wow. Uh, yes. And just like really tedious seventy, a journey, like journey, and I, I don't get into like now everybody likes journey out of that music irony, which perplexes me to no end. Because I'm like I lived through this and it was garbage. <laughs> it's yeah. like let's stop thinking it's fun and great because it's indulgent bullshit. I don't know if that sounds pretentious, but that's kind of how I felt back then. And then it was like same with you when I heard first heard punk or um any or tom waits and stuff like that i it was like the world stopped for a second and was like there's a different way you can go in life yeah yeah not a lot of like hard rock or um stuff really ever resonated with me it was it was always the kind of weirdo like sparser music or you know hearing i don't know what it's like Plunky, like stuff with a lot of reverb and a lot of space was always the stuff that really always appealed to me. And something about music that got too like maximalist always kind of like my ears turned off. I couldn't listen to it or something. Yeah, there was. Uh, I got really into because I was. I grew up uh, outside of Chicago, so there was there was a blues till dawn show that I would tape like on my stereo while I slept. Like I'd just put on in a cassette tape and, and, and like jazz and stuff. So I got into that yeah. thankfully at a young age, but other than that, like it was, and I, I get in a lot of arguments, like heated arguments, but I really have a disdain for the doors and Led Zeppelin and people, when I say that they look at me, like I said to them, your favorite uncle, uncle molested me when I was five. Like, that's uh -huh. the kind of offensive look they get. I don't know yeah, how you I, feel about Led Zeppelin. Um, well, Led Zeppelin actually have recently become very kind of obsessed with it. I, I read um, uh, Hammer of the Gods, the unauthorized biography of Led Zeppelin uh, um, over the summer, and it was amazing. And... Um, so yeah, sort of. I had a couple, you know, used Led Zeppelin records that I bought at Amoeba, like in high school when I was younger. But only recently I've become very kind of focused in Led Zeppelin with the fervor of a you know fifteen year old in, in the seventies. Um, but what, not. What, sorry, was that? Oh, I was just going to ask what you like what you like about them now, rediscovering it. I, I'm, the Satan shit really appeals to me. Like, like it's sort of like there's this real like wide-eyed naivety to their like brand of evil that I I find so charming. Um, I think part of it taps into the same part of me that was like obsessed with trying to listen to Beatles records backwards and you know looking for clues about you know Paul being dead or not. Um, there's just kind of just this icky spookiness about it that. 
is something really juvenile and just like just like so delightful to me. I don't know, I think the records just sound really good too. Like John Bonham is a real great drummer. Yeah, no, I give them credit where the credit's due. I mean, I do think they're amazing musicians and like uh Bonham is a I think he's a great drummer and Jimmy Page is a great producer. Uh and if anybody ever fucked a groupie with a mud shark better, it was Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. I mean, they really cornered uh, <laughs> But I mean like uh, the uh it just the fact that they blatantly like and not even like borrowed riffs, like they would just steal oh. songs outright yeah. that and then take credit for it. That really just that's and I never got into Robert Plant really. I always found his voice grating, but that's what really irks me about them. And I guess it's more like a, a just a sort of a moral thing. It's like, man, you guys made millions and you robbed people blind. Like that just really has never set well with me. Oh, they're just horrible people. Like for <laughs> sure. Like I I I can't recommend that book high enough. I mean, highly enough. And even. I was not excited about their music when I started reading it. It was actually I'm um, listening to uh, Tom Sharpling and the Best Show. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Tom Sharpling had talked about the book, and then I was on tour with a buddy who bought it, and then he was reading while we were traveling together, and then I ended up finding a used copy like a month later, and it was just a tour through it. Um, but sadly, it is the only book I have finished since my daughter was born. I, I have not found a lot of time to read. But I was out on tour, and I I just tore through that book. Yeah, and I was just something about how horrible they were. And I mean, it really is kind of like a cautionary tale of like everything that's evil about the music business. But they're just like shitty, terrible people, and they're so young, and they have so much power, and they just there's no one telling them no. I guess that is a that is in some way a way to be like, all right. I mean, like if I was 22 making. God knows how much money and like endless amounts of girls, I probably would have lost my fucking mind too. I mean, and the, I, the, I, the, this week's episode, which will be last week's episode by the time this airs, but is a guy who worked with Led Zeppelin and he just talked briefly about how they would shoot speed right before they went on stage. And then like, it was be like main line, curtain up, jump on stage. And I, wow. Yeah, I, I you read that kind of stuff about those guys. It's like I can't drink two beers before I go on stage, yeah. and I'm a fucking idiot. I, I don't know how these people did it. It's kind of perplexing. I don't know. It's just uh, yeah. I don't. I don't feel like I am the same species as those people. But it's, I mean, it's fascinating to read about, though. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, I hate the I hate the doors though. I, I find the doors like, totally intolerable. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, my friend the other day, the guy who actually does the theme music for my show, was saying like, he's like, well, you know, they're actually really great musicians, and they all have these different backgrounds. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Jim <laughs> yeah. like, Morrison just ruins it. I mean, they they have had some lovely patch passages in their song. I just I can't listen to that guy. It, something also, about like there's a generation of like L.A. rock that ugh, it's just ugh, there's just an energy to it that I find so distasteful. It is pretty. Uh, it's like coke cock ego rock. It's, yeah, and like, but it's like people always say that like you said they were, they had some great passages and but it's like Morrison had some fucking awful like. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like he's considered like this great poet, but mostly by Doors fans. But it's like 
the best is the West or what? It's like fragile eggshell shaped mind. It's like, yeah, that's pretty garbage. That's like, that's not T.S. Eliot writing. Not good. That's just stoned idiot writing. Yeah. I'm with you. You preach in the <laughs> choir. I'm with you. <laughs> uh, it's, but is, who like, is there any, because now you're in Chicago, is it, are yeah. you buddies with Albini now? That you're, or do you know? No, no. <laughs> I just thought all music <laughs> oh, guys. God, no. Um, I, you know, I, he's just one of. I, I hear so many stories about the man, and I, I've seen him around town a couple times, but I've like been in the same pizza parlor. So I don't know what I would say to the say to the gentleman. I, you know, I've, I enjoy his music very much, but pretty sure he wouldn't enjoy mine. And that's okay. Um, pretty, I mastered. Pretty, oh, sorry, what's that? Oh, he's pretty wide. He's pretty wide-minded or open-minded or whichever about his. Uh, he's not that like just Jesus lizard shellac type stuff. He's, I think he's pretty wide. He did produce Plant Page though, so who knows? <laughs> he did, yeah. I don't. Know, I have a real thing about. I've I've had a couple of bad experiences, kind of you know meeting heroes, and um, I kind of prefer to keep it you know, a distance from the people who's, you know, who've really been inspirations. I, I like having some abstraction and mystery around, you know, the music or art that I, I really love. Um, but that said, I, I got to master the last advanced bass album with Bob Weston, also of Shellac, who's, you know, has recorded so many records that, that, I love, and that was a great experience. Is I learned so much from the guy, and that was I felt like my one time, really kind of participating in like the old guard of like you know Chicago punk dudes, where there really is this like generation of uh, of real uh, real stubborn crotchety like you know punk wizards, um, and uh, he's definitely one of those guys, and it was awesome. It was, it was such a good experience. Yeah, I remember when I lived there, just seeing like it would. I I don't know why but it was weird, but like seeing Urge Overkill guys around town, or it was just always. And even I even got to interview David Yao, but that guy, it was just he was such a god to me. Yeah. That it was. I just kind of the whole time was just going I, in my head, like I can't believe this is. I'm talking to this guy. Yeah. But uh, but Albini's because uh, uh, I worked at Second City for years, and Albini's girlfriend oh, wow. actually was the house manager there, so he would come all the time. But it was like I never felt comfortable around the guy at all, just because it was <laughs> he's yeah. he's not like he has a people think he's a dick, but he's not really. He's actually a very nice guy, but it was just he's just intimidating, man. I don't know if it's just the body of work or my insecurity. Yeah, I mean, if, if the situation ever presented it for itself where I was going to work with him on something, it'd be great. I'd be psyched out of my mind, but I don't feel any need to, like, <laughs> seek out those experiences, you know, because I, I don't know. I, 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 I like having a bit of, like, legend and, you know, I like having some degree of mystery, you know. Yeah, did do you produce your own stuff or do you work... I. You worked with the Red House Painters fella for um, oh, last um, Mark. Actually, speaking of like heroes and <laughs> mystique, um, yeah, Mark Kozlik, uh, uh He he basically he put out the CD edition of my last album, 
And um, I was a Red House Painters fan since high school. I remember, like, like Big Black, I remember the first time I heard Red House Painters in like a friend's car um, on Live 105, like driving into San Francisco on a weekend. Um, and yeah, I was just a big fan of his music. And I worked at a movie theater in San Francisco that he came into all the time. And I recognized him from seeing Red House Painter shows. I started putting him on the guest list and kind of, you know, he was always real sweet to me. And I was like, you know, 1920 and, um, where, you know, he would come into the movies every once in a while. And then some years later doing Cassia tone stuff, I, I ended up on a, the same festival as Sun Kill Moon. And, I ran into him backstage, and he was like, "Yeah, you're from the theater. Yeah, what, what, uh, what, what time is Sling Blade playing on Sunday? I was thinking about seeing that, and I was like, I haven't worked there in years. So that was like the only context he knew me from. But I, I would just sort of both being in music, I kept running into him over the years, and I think because I was just this kind of geeky fan kid that he knew from years before, he was just like a real sweetheart to me always, and um. And yeah, it turned out he liked my music, but, but you know, when he finally heard some of it and he covered one of my songs, which just like totally blew my mind. Wow. And, um, I just actually just did a couple of shows opening for him in, in New York and Chicago. It's the first time we'd done, I'd, I, first time I'd opened for him other than, you know, the, the festival we played together some years ago. But um, yeah, he has been super awesome to me and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Um, yeah. But uh yeah, I haven't done any like recording with the man, but um, yeah, m- more often than not, I kind of record my own stuff. And that was one thing I really wanted to do with Advanced Space is sort of really, it was really an attempt just to be super autonomous. And um, that Advanced Space record is the first one that I like completely engineered myself. I did a lot of the Cassie Tone stuff myself, but always had some help here or there. Yeah, but, I was uh, I was curious about that. Because they're they're both, both of the bands are pretty much have always been you. So what does, what makes you go? All right, I'm going to become advanced bass now. Oh, um, I was an idea I had for a couple of years. It just kind of took me a while to wind down Cassiotone. Um, I just just because it Cassiotone started as such a specific thing, I just knew it wasn't the kind of thing I could do forever. And the longer I teased it out, sort of the more perverse it seemed to me and i kind of got a thrill out of sort of breaking down all the initial kind of rules that i had set up for what cassie Tom was going to be by you know adding more instruments and then taking away the one instrument that it was you know named for um but uh that last cassie tone album versus children i kind of knew was going to be the last cassie tone album and it took me from the, my initial idea of what the record was going to be, it probably took me four or five years to actually finish that record. And really? I made other records kind of in the meantime. Yeah, I kind of had started the songs, and I kind of liked the idea of there being this point where the, I, the characters of the song sort of were suddenly realized that they were adults and had to stop being selfish people. And I like this idea of this sort of like, this is going to be this final sort of chapter for, I don't know, because I think a lot of what Cassie Tone was, was me kind of figuring out adult feelings and kind of moving to the next point in my life. Um, Yeah. Um, So yeah, once that record was done, like I was, I, 
I was I was done with Cassiotone. Like it really, there were I, there were a lot of songs I just didn't want to sing anymore. There are songs on Versus Children that I felt like were really important for me to write and record, but I didn't want to go out singing them, you know, for years. I was just kind of ready to close the book on it and try something else. Because um, like I just felt like there was a lot of distance between me and songs that I'd written. When I was twenty, um, and I was in my early thirties at that point. So. I kind of like the idea of a fresh start and just trying something different. Um, it turned out to be not nearly as different as I would have hoped, because as you said, I kind of have a sound for better or worse, and I can't seem to really shake certain qualities of you know the music I make. It's, it all always kind of just ends up sounding like me for better or worse. I think that but, I mean, for in my opinion, that is more point of view. An approach then, because it it is a very different album than your other stuff, and I don't I don't I wouldn't know actually how to word it. I didn't, but it's definitely a different step and a I would say a more I don't want to choose the wrong word like advanced or mature or like growth. I I hate all those words that I'm <laughs> saying because <laughs> it implies negatives about the other things that I don't mean that yeah. at all, but there's, it's more complex or something. And, uh, that was like one of the first things that stood out to me. Yeah. I think I, it feels a little more grown up to me. Or, I mean, I, I definitely, it, the songs just are resonating with me more as a 35 year old man than, you know, the songs I wrote yeah. know, years ago. Like the song so, David Allen on the new album really, uh, it really stood out to me. Oh, um, Thanks. Yeah, I, I like that one a lot. Um, yeah, it's, I, I didn't kind of realize it until I had finished the record, but it is like such a nostalgic record. And for all my efforts of making something that felt really progressive and or or you know sort of a step forward, it the whole record is just all about looking back and you know kind of like you know memories and placing kind of mile markers throughout life. You know. Um, yeah, I was kind of surprised by that. I'm, it's, uh, for all the work I do, you know, writing these songs and really thinking about them, and it takes me months sometimes to wrap these things up. I feel like I, I, I'm so blind to what so much of the songs are about until I have some distance from them. It's, I always am kind of surprised and a little embarrassed by how they always end up being a little more honest than I, I thought I was being even. Does that make sense? It does. I think that's, uh, I mean, I think that's, I don't know, I was going to sound like a dork. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. Is what <laughs> Good, cool. Good. Uh, I know you've got 35, you're really worried about being cool still. Uh, but I mean. Uh, still I, feels great. <laughs> still feels great to you. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. But but like when you were saying the thing about versus children about sort of dealing with adult feelings was that like I mean it seemed like a conscious choice but was that also something that you were kind of like growing into as well while you were putting that album together? Yeah, I think I was a little intimidated by some I some of the songs I was starting to write and I felt like I wasn't quite ready for them and I kind of put them away for a little while. Um, I felt like I probably had more just like you know. 20s angst songs to get out first um but uh what what was i talking about originally it was i mean i kind of had this idea for i wanted to write songs 
I'm a real like true crime fan, and I kind of like the idea oh, yeah, of writing a somewhat true crimey kind of out. Reading like In Cold Blood was, I think, really kind of kickstarted a lot of that record. Did you read um, that recently? Um, or like I within mean, the last couple of years? I mean, or a few. This must have been, I guess, like five or six years ago when I first started to, like get the idea for some of those songs. Yeah, because Optimist uh, versus the Silent oh. Alarm was like one yeah. of my. I mean, that's such a great tune. Thanks. Yeah, that was the. I think that was the first song I wrote for the record. And that was a very long time ago, and sort of thought about it and slowly kind of built an album around it. And then uh, the first song on the album was that Tom Just the Choir Boy Robber. Um, that's a, a true story about a guy I worked with at a movie theater who we found out a few years later was robbing banks at the same time he was working at a movie theater and um he uh he was from chicago and moved out to the bay area and at that point i was already sort of had designs on moving to chicago and i just found myself thinking about the guy a lot and wondering what kind of decisions take someone to the point where they're robbing banks across the country and still working at a shitty movie theater the way I was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm as well fascinated with that mentality. My grandfather was a bit of a Irish gangster in Chicago, so I'm really yeah. He was. Uh, I was actually kind of dicking around with a book about it for a while, but because my father found out at, at when he was 21 that he had a like four or five half brothers and sisters. Like his dad had two families going on at once, and I wow. Yeah, and he worked for Colonel McCormick, who at the time owned the Tribune, and like the newspapers were real in the 30s and 40s. Where it was like gangster, you know, they were trying to shove each other out, and he ran liquor yeah. for Capone. And there's all these conflicting stories uh, of like of who he killed. It's just it's like this. But anyway, I, you know, I just I I think that's what let fed my fascination for that sort of. Uh, and I'm looking at the Tom Justice, and it says there's a. It said apprehended at the Ace Hardware in Libertyville, Illinois. Is that true about that song or that character? Yeah, wow. I've read a few conflicting um, newspaper articles, and every I was kind of careful about. I mean, because I did kind of know the guy. Um, I I liked the idea of writing a song that was like a real, like old fashioned, like uh, uh, just like one of those songs that's just the news, like old folk songs, like about like. You know, I don't know John Henry or, or or you know some crook or another. I like this the idea of writing a song that was just like the story of this guy. Um, but I was kind of careful about just sort of limiting the facts in the song to stuff that's just kind of publicly available information. Like it's all stuff from like newspaper, magazine articles. But there are some reports. You know, he'd gone home for Thanksgiving, and either was arrested at his parents' house or he was arrested in the parking lot of this Ace Hardware while he was home for Thanksgiving. I like the sound of the Ace Hardware, so I went, I went with that one. No, uh, yeah, that's good. But, and it, because, like, for me, get when I got the album, I was like, Libertyville? <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's such a vague Illinois. Tom Waits has a lot of weird, vague Illinois references, too, which is, his, which turns out his wife is from Illinois, but it's... Oh, it's uh, oh, Johnsburg, Illinois? Is that the Tom I think Waits she's actually from from there, but he has... A lot of Illinois references, especially through the Frank's Wild Years trilogy. Yeah. Um, but what was the when the bank robber guy was he? Did he seem like a, like he always like in the movie he would be like the tough kind of cool guy? <laughs> it's like was or is he a total weirdo? 
oh, he seemed like a sociopath. He just seemed, yeah, just a real different kind of compass on that guy. It, yeah, he, there was something off about him for sure. Um, yeah. Um, just the fact that he, you know, is a, a dude named Tom Justice from Libertyville, Illinois. Um, that's his real name, huh? His real name. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a crazy story. I mean, it, it, it sounds made up. Um, but yeah, that kind of like was really kind of kickstarted again, or I guess really lit a fire under me to kind of just help build like the thematic of that record and tying in the true crime stuff with just, you know, the baby stuff, like the two major themes on that record. Yeah. I just, did he seem like he was robbing banks just for the fucking kicks of it? Cause I, I once was so broke and I was like, when I first lived in LA, I was broke. I was in a really bad relationship and I was like, drove past the liquor store once. And I was like, that could solve some problems <laughs> uh, <laughs> or lead to uh years of rape. Uh, <laughs> So I opted to... I remember as a kid drawing, like, maps for bank robbery, like, escape routes. Like, I was something about bank robbery in particular I was very preoccupied with since I was, like, really, really small. Um, so yeah, I was... Some part of me was a little envious of, like, I heard... I was like, holy shit, he did it. He was... He, he did it. I mean, it's such an archetype, like, being a bank robber. And it takes so much guts. Um, but I, based on what I've read, it seemed that he had a a substance abuse habit that he was he was paying for, and uh, I'd like to think that he had some grander scheme of something amazing he was saving up for. But I think he was I don't think he had any kind of nest egg he was sitting on. He was he needed to rob those banks just to support his uh, his lifestyle. There was a thing I read years ago about a, a married couple was robbing banks to pay for their wedding. <laughs> it was wow. Like, I know. I was like, God damn, is it that expense? Like, just elope. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was like kind of ended up in a in a Bonnie and Clyde. Like, I think they got popped. Wow. Huh. Yeah. Really rarely ends well. I th Well, maybe if those situations that end well are the ones we don't hear about. Yeah. I heard read an amazing story a while ago that was kind of inspired another song on that record. I think I read it in like a New Yorker in someone's bathroom years ago. Um, but uh, two bank robbers who, two guys, partners, lived different cities, rarely interacted except for when they were planning these jobs where they would like be like, how about Seattle? And then they would spend months planning where they're going to rob banks in Seattle. And then they would like rendezvous, knock over a couple of banks, and they'd each like go back to their lives. And they both had pretty quiet, you know, normal family lives. And one of their wives found these like blueprints or plans in the basement and kind of put together like these business trips he was going off on, and, um, like ratted him out, like turned him in. But, uh, you think she'd have been relieved that he wasn't cheating? Because you'd, <laughs> you know, like, oh, it keeps flying off to these towns. He's probably tagging somebody. Maybe there are other issues, and this seemed like an easy way out. And she was like, <laughs> oh, finally, I have a, I have a wonderful excuse. Like, I make a phone call, and I'm out. Was... Now, how did you end up growing up in the Redwoods and then end up uh, in Chicago? Chicago? Um, 
Uh, well, I was born in San Francisco. My parents never left. I was just there for uh, many, many years. And I first went to Chicago on, on a tour the first time I uh, did like a national tour with, with Cassia Tone. And I had a day off in Chicago and I did laundry and I really liked it. So it was just a really good looking city and I met nice people at the show and kind of just had it in the back of my head for some years that if I was going to move somewhere, Chicago would be great. And uh, I met my wife who lives out here. Um, and that was it. That Did you was meet the, her at that, that tour? That show? No. Oh, this okay. is years later. Um, but I kind of, I always liked Chicago. And, um, but yeah, to- I met her and that was, that was, that was, that was all I needed to get myself to Chicago. It's a, uh, it's a, I spent most of my life there and I, it's, I, I, I've lived in LA almost 11 years and I, I still think about Chicago. It's a, it really is one of those cities that just gets in you. It has such a crazy history and I've always been just really fascinated by it. I mean, it seemed like such a dark place in so many ways. And, um, but it is such a beautiful city. It's amazing looking. Like I, you know, I grew up in San Francisco where there aren't a lot of bricks for good reason. <laughs> they tend to get shaken off of buildings, but there are all these beautiful, huge brick and stone buildings, and it didn't look like where I came from. And it, you know, it's an older city. There's a lot of history, and I don't know. It felt good to be in such an old place. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, there is. I I was back there for Memorial Day, and it was like I stepped out of my hotel room, and I was just like, uh, like I lie to myself. That I don't miss it, and that I wouldn't. And then I, as soon as I started walking down the street, I was just like, "Fuck!" <laughs> it was like, oh. it was like seeing that ex-girlfriend that you, you're just like, "Oh, it's so right. Why are we not together?" And honestly, that's kind of how I feel when I go back to to San Francisco. I just, I don't. It's not until I'm there that I smell the ocean, and it's such, it's such another just incredibly beautiful city. And oh, yeah. I actually would like to live there someday because I, I do really love San Francisco and I used to get to go up there for work a lot and it, I just I would love just walking around that city as well. It's it's the best. One of my like number one daydreams is just what if I just flew to San Francisco and didn't tell anybody just for the weekend. Like I don't want to see anybody out there. I just want to have a couple days to walk around and like maybe yeah, I'll go to the coffee shop I like. It's just one of those places I just dream about all the time. I, yeah, it's just such a good-looking town. Is there uh, are there any certain joints in Chicago you like? I'm a big fan of Twin Anchors ribs, by the way. I don't know if you're a meaty. I don't eat meat anymore, but if I went home, I would probably eat some fucking ribs. I don't know that place. What's the name of it? <clears throat> Twin Anchors ribs. It's been there, I think, like since the 40s or 50s. It's a corner bar and restaurant. In Old Town, uh, <clears throat> at Sedgwick and Menominee. Okay, and it's I've just, never been. Oh, it's just this like little joint, and they have like Sinatra used to get the ribs flown in. Not that like I always think that's funny huh. that people are so fascinated with like Sinatra used. To, it's like what if Sinatra had the worst food? <laughs> it's like because yeah. he ate there doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> but Sinatra it is. Sinatra probably ate a lot of places. <laughs> it also had a bar, so maybe he was just there for the booze. Maybe, yeah. But uh, it's, yeah, and, and uh, the ribs are really, really great. All right. I'm not not too big on ribs. But maybe uh, you know what the weird thing is? is try. I'm not a big rib guy either, but 
I just something about them. Something about that joint. Plus, the atmosphere is pretty awesome. All right. So I've always wanted to see the Green Mill. To have never made it to the Green Mill. Oh, I used to live right up there. It's uh, it's pretty great. What's that uh, James Conn movie where it gets blown up? Thief, which is oddly that Thief. you bring that up because that's Michael Mann who I was thinking yeah. about him with a, a lot of bank robbing movies, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Thief's great. Yeah, I've always wanted to just go, you know, peek my head in. Um, but where do I like? There's this actual, I was just driving back into Chicago from New York last week and a, a buddy of mine drove back with me because she hasn't, Hadn't met the baby yet, so she was going to come stay for a few days. So I was planning out. In fact, I had made sort of a mental list of, you know, how do you make someone love Chicago? And what what will my tour be? And uh, driving in to the town, we stopped in Gary, Indiana to see Michael Jackson's childhood home, which I'd never done. That was pretty great and depressing. Gary is in such a rough shape and like a block away from... This, you know, somewhat well-preserved house with a nice plaque with Michael Jackson. There are houses with, like, roofs caved in. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, we saw that. And then we went to the uh, Calumet Fisheries. Did you ever go there when you lived? No. I think it's, it must be, I think it's fe- uh, it's featured in Blues Brothers, which I don't remember it being in Blues Brothers. But it's just this little, it's right on the a bridge. Oh, I, I've seen it, it on uh, Bourdain, actually. It's like a, th- yeah, 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 yeah. I think Bourdain had it on the show. Yeah, it's great. Um, just this little, you know, they sell smoked fish and that's about it. But they have these smoked shrimp that are insane. I've never had smoked shrimp anywhere else. So that's special. That's maybe a couple times a year I'll make it out there because it's, you know, a bit of a drive. It's, you know, on your way down to Gary. What are joints um, like that in San Francisco that are like, because Cal- the Calumet Fish Place and like Twin Anchors are like, you kind of have to be from Chicago to know those places. Yeah. Or if you watch, I guess Anthony Bourdain probably helped that place out a bit. Yeah. Bourdain's uh, never been to Twin Anchors. I was actually disappointed by that. Yeah. I got to check this place. I'll try it. My my wife is, a, is is more of a barbecue fan than me. I bet she'd really enjoy that. I'll be interested if, uh, I always get nervous when I was <laughs> guessing, but everybody, I have me met too. people love it though. Yeah, I'm not I, the get, only I one. take it real personally. I get real nervous. And I recommend a place. I'm like, ah, oh, if they don't like it, like I've ruined a meal for them. Yeah, because it's also like there's nostalgia. What what are places like in San Francisco that are secret joints that you would go to? Actually, this is kind of like a recent find, but the Tadich Grill, which is like a real old fashioned San Francisco seafood place that's down in the business district, um, where all the waiters wear like you know the white coats and. uh it's like just one wall is all mirrors and there's like all these overstuffed booths and it just seems like a real Sinatra kind of place. It's real old fashioned. Um, it reminds me a lot of this place called Jack's that when I was really small, like my whatever my my grandpa had like a we had like a you know, a Christmas or a birthday get together, we'd go to Jack's. And I remember having escargot there as a kid. One of those places where like you have to wear a tie. And they have, you know, a basket of ties by the door. So if you show up with that one, they throw a tie on you. Um, but yeah, Tadish Grill feels like, it feels real nostalgic to me, even though I only started going there a couple years ago. Um, but, you know, when I lived there, as like a, you know, I was in college and then just working in movie theaters. Like, yeah, there were 
a lot of like taquerias and real you know, cheap Vietnamese places that I went to because that's the kind of place I could afford to eat. It's kind of fun to go now as an adult and have like grown-up dinners. Something <laughs> I didn't have too much back then. Yeah, you always get to when you're a kid. You just get the like cheeseburger fries thing. You, of course, you had yeah. asked Kogar. You were more uh, savvy as a as a child than I was. <laughs> oh well, I, I lived in the Mission District for a long time, so you know, burritos or you could get a burrito, and that was your meal for the day, basically. Um, and, uh, Pete's coffee is and uh, it was my, was always my favorite when I was younger. But now, when I go back, there's Phil's coffee, which is like a newer. A little more like, you know, one of those real fancy, like one cup at a time pour over coffee places where, they, you know, they have 90 choices of beans and they, you know, hand make each cup. And it's about twice of what you would be comfortable paying for a cup of coffee <laughs> otherwise. But it's just kind of a, if I lived there, I probably wouldn't indulge that much. But it's a real special, you know, going back and walking down 24th Street where I used to live and I get a, a, a Phil's coffee, real special time. Well, uh, I want to. I, I we're at the at the time thing there, but uh, I wanted to. If there is there websites and things like that you want to plug, and we'll also put them on the uh, page when the show goes up. Is there anything? Oh yeah, um, advanced bass music, and that's bass b a s e. Uh, AdvancedBassMusic dot com is um, the home for my music now, and uh, cftpa dot org is the home for the music of my youth. But both those sites link to each other great <clears throat> and uh, i just want to a- ask you if it's okay if uh, maybe we put a song at the top of this show get your permission sure. to... okay i just yeah yeah for yeah, those your, your, your who, choice who haven't uh heard but uh, and should so i i want to thank you very much owen for the taking a, the time out to talk with me it was really great and i hope you uh, uh, enjoyed yourself my pleasure i hope this is interesting <laughs> Hey, thank you for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I am Matt Dwyer, and uh, that's that. That was a good show. I really enjoyed it. If you enjoyed the show, uh, feel free to donate some money. You know, we're uh, struggling here. Dustin and I have given up a lot of our lives to uh, put on these podcasts, and and I uh, try to find interesting people that you don't normally get to hear from. Uh, politically and socially, I've got some really interesting interviews coming up in the in the next couple of weeks. So I think uh, you know, keep us keep gas in the car and food in our bellies, so we can uh, keep these shows going. If you can't afford to donate, you can go to Amazon. You can buy stuff through my link. Uh, I, I bought some stuff today because I needed stuff for the podcast. I needed uh, books that I have to read. I have uh, Will Porter. I have this interview coming up. I have to read. I have to read his book. You know, this, uh, I gotta be informed, goddammit. Um, also, uh, you know, if you can't, review my show on uh, iTunes. A lot of people haven't. Also, tell your friends about it, tweet about it. If you have any interesting ideas for uh, guests, or you want to ask me a question, you could email me at uh, com- conversationswithdewire at gmail. Follow me on Twitter, too, Matt underscore Dwyer, uh, there. And, uh, yeah, hooray. Uh, Power to the people, everybody. Power to the people. All of the people.
past the fence Child's in the woods behind town Flashlights and blankets atop for a tent A wild place to lay ourselves down But us two are too scared to try as we might Sleep under screech owls and moths in the night We ran back to your house before it was light And tossing the apple tree up to the balcony National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. <laughs> the NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.